This morning, we're going to continue on in a series that we started uh, about a month ago called Central. We've been working our way through this with a few interruptions. We had Mother's Day, where we had a special Mother's Day message. And then last week, we had a missionary guest with us. Uh, and so he had a special message for us. Uh, we've been working our way through the book of Galatians, chapter by chapter. And so this week is the fourth week where we've been in the book of Galatians. And so today we're going to be looking at chapter 4. We're going to look at the tail end of chapter 3 for a little bit. And then we're going to get into chapter 4 and looking at that and pull out some practical application from the book and figure out how it applies to us today. And so as we've been going through the chapter or through the series, I've been encouraging you to read the book of Galatians, right? It's a whole six chapters long. And I said it will take you like 15 to 20 minutes to read it. How many of you have taken the time to read the book of Galatians since we started this series? Okay, like four of you, five of you. Okay, a few of you have taken some time. Okay, you've got a few weeks left. We're on week four. That means we've got two more weeks left after this. I want to encourage you to take the 15 or 20 minutes it would take and read through the book of Galatians. It'll help you out as we, as we go through this together. So for those of you who were here two weeks ago when we went through the third part in chapter 3 of the book of Galatians, one of the main takeaways that we had from it was that the righteous live by faith or that the just will live by faith. We talked about how Jesus redeemed us. This idea that we've been redeemed by Jesus. And who remembers what that means? What does it mean to say we've been redeemed? It means to be made right in God's eyes. Or more specifically, that Jesus paid the price for our sins by taking God's wrath upon himself so that you and I didn't have to. Or more actually, because you and I, we don't have the ability to pay for our sins. We don't have the ability to pay the price that Jesus paid for our sins. Jesus paid the price for our sins by taking God's wrath upon himself. Because we don't have the ability to. So today we're going to pick it up in chapter 4. But before we do so, as I said, we're going to look at the tail end of chapter 3. It'll help us flow together and make better sense of chapter 4 when we look at the end of chapter 3. So we're going to start at chapter or verse 23 of Galatians chapter 3. So it's on the screen behind me where you can follow along in your Bible if you'd like as well. Remember, the main thing we've been looking at throughout this whole series is the gospel. That's why it's called central. It's this whole idea of the gospel, living a gospel-centered life. So verse 23, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, it says. And then depending what translation you read, you'll see a different word in your Bible where it says guardian. Some of you, how many of you it says a different word than guardian? Some of you, yeah, your translation may say a different word than guardian. How many of you, your translation says the word tutor? Yeah, right? Some of you it says the word tutor. Right? So I've got a picture here, right, where you have an actual tutor who's sitting next to a student. What Paul is saying is that the law 
The thou shalt not, right in the Old Testament, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not covet, all those thou shalt not. The rules of the Old Testament, they're kind of like a tutor. Have any of you ever been to a tutor before? It's okay, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Have you been to a tutor before, right? Maybe you had difficulty in a certain subject when you were in school, whatever it may have been. You had trouble with math back in the day, and your parents took you to a tutor to help you get a little bit of extra help that you needed in order to help you understand math a little bit better. Well, the tutor isn't exactly the teacher, right? The tutor is just a helper. There's someone else that comes alongside. They're, they're not meant to be there with you constantly. He or she is there to guide you until the time comes for the teacher to be there to help you again. We'll continue reading. Verse 26, we pick it up and says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise, or according to promise. Paul goes on to say that the Galatians are all sons of God. So here's a question for you. Does that mean that everyone is a son or a daughter of God? That's the question. Are we all sons and daughters of God? Well, the basic answer to the question is no. Paul here is speaking to the Galatian church, which is made up of believers in Jesus and those who have responded to the gospel message. And we see that when we look at verse 27. He's speaking to those who have what? Those who have already made a commitment and who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. Those who already have a relationship with Jesus. Those who have been baptized in water, first of all. When it says baptized in Christ Jesus, it refers to being baptized in water. How many of you here this morning have made a commitment to give your life to Jesus, and you followed through in that commitment in water baptism? Right? I believe many of us here this morning have done that. Water baptism is one of the two ordinances of the Assemblies of God Church, with the other one being communion which we observe here on a regular basis at Chisholm AG. We do water baptism to symbolize Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, as well as to publicly declare our faith in Jesus Christ. For those who have been baptized before, you're submerged completely underwater, and then you're brought back up to symbolize being born again, symbolize being washed in the blood. We'll have another opportunity for people to be water baptized again later this summer at our annual church picnic. We see this in the book of Acts. This example is laid before us. Weeks after Jesus died, his disciples and the committed followers waited in an upper room and were filled with the Holy Spirit. And later, Peter, Peter preached the gospel to thousands of people. In Acts chapter 2, we see the story of how after Peter preached the gospel, people were cut to the heart and they asked, what can we do to be saved? Peter didn't say, repeat this prayer after me. 
He did say, he did say, just follow us and come to the church once a week. He said this, Acts chapter 2, 38-39. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. They were to do two things, it says here in this passage. They were to repent and they were to be baptized. So that day, it says that about 3,000 people were baptized, right? They didn't go to some baptism class. It wasn't a long, drawn-up process. They just committed to Christ, and then they went about and followed in being baptized. Paul tells the Galatians, he says that if you've been baptized into Christ, then you have put on Christ. Another way you can put it is, as Christians, we need to live the gospel on the inside, and we need to show it on the outside. When we get saved, our heart is changed, and our outward lives express that change. When we get baptized in water, what we're saying to the world is, I am crucified with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. When you're serious about a relationship, you show your commitment, right? Like when I was serious about my relationship with Pastor Laura, and I knew that I wanted to marry her, I didn't say, oh, I'm just going to keep her as my girlfriend forever. I, I went out, I bought a ring, I proposed to her, I got married, and now we've committed ourselves to forever together. I showed my commitment by following through with action. Right? Sometimes today we see people who are dating and they say, yeah, I love this person. I'm going to be with them forever. She, she's my wifey. And you're like, no, she's not. She's your girlfriend. Right? That's not true commitment. And I'm not saying that when somebody's dating for two weeks, you have to just jump right to it. I'm just saying, if you're going to say you're committed to someone, there should be action that follows through with that. And that's the same way in our faith. If we're saying we're a follower of Christ, there should be action that follows through with our commitment to our faith in Christ. And one of those is the public declaration of our faith. Living your life for Jesus is a commitment. It should be a lifelong commitment to Christ. I encourage you today, if you surrender your life to Jesus, and you haven't been water baptized yet, please consider doing so later in the summer when we have the opportunity to do so at our church picnic. I believe it's a powerful time, and it's a great testimony and witness of your faith to those around you. We're going to continue on verse 28 of Galatians chapter 3. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ." Jesus. We're going to look at each of these comparisons one at a time. The first one, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Right? Jews look down on the Greeks. Right? Two separate classes of people here. And if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see lots of examples where the Pharisees and the scribes, they thought they were better than everyone, right? They thought they were kind of like a higher class. 
than everybody else. They thought they were kind of an exception. They were upper class where everyone else was a lower class. Because they thought they were the chosen people. But here we're, we're learning that Apostle Paul is saying, there is no difference. There is no upper class and lower class. Everyone is equal. There is no Jew nor Greek. Right? Then we read there's no slave nor free. Someone who is free has the freedom to walk around, right? And do whatever they like because their status allows them to. They are free, right? That's pretty self-explanatory. A slave doesn't have the same liberties, right? They're restricted as far as what they can do. He or she does not have freedom. But when it comes to Christ, there is no distinction or status to compare the two of them. There is no such thing as being a slave in Christ. Through Christ comes absolute freedom. There is no restriction. There is nothing that holds anyone back when it comes to a life in Christ. There is no male and female. Before you think that this verse is about gender confusion, it absolutely is not. This is what Paul is talking about. We have two distinct genders, male and female. Paul is referring to status here, right? Because when you look at the context of this day and age, 2,000 years ago, right, women were treated like second class, right? They were treated very differently than men were in the context of when this scripture was written. And we've come a long way in 2,000 years, but when you think about it, the reality is that there is still somewhat of a culture today where women are not always looked at as equal to men. And sometimes here on the range, that's more so than other places. And that's something we have to be honest about and say, you know what? As a church, as a body of Christ, what can we do about that? To say that there is no difference between male and female. If you think of it, right, we live, for the most part, in a male-dominated culture. Most of the CEOs of our companies are male. Every single president we've ever had in this country is a male. Most of the leaders of other countries have always been male. When it comes to Christ, it says we are all one in Christ. God loves each and every one the same. Culturally, the Jews would pass their inheritance on to their firstborn who? Firstborn son. When they died. When Jesus died, he passed his inheritance on to those who were known as sons of God. When we're born again, it says we become sons of God. What do we inherit, you ask? The kingdom, it says. This is where we're going to start reading from chapter 4. Picking it up at verse number one. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of nothing, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The metaphor we see here is beautiful. Right? It's a beautiful metaphor. And here I have a picture. If you look at this picture and you go, okay, we've got a Caucasian father and an African-American son. This is obviously a picture of an adopted family. Right? This father adopted this child. And this is a picture of what God has done with each and every one of us when we come into a relationship with Christ. We have all been adopted into the family of God. It does not matter what our gender is. It does not matter what our race is. It does not matter what our ethnicity is. We have all been adopted into the family of God as we are heirs of His. Right? The metaphor that Paul uses that those who are born again are literally adopted into the family of God. Each and every one. So I want you to think about this question for a moment. How many of you know someone who has been powerfully affected in some way by adoption? Right? I think almost every one of us sitting here today can go, I know somebody who has been affected by adoption in one way or another. Because it's rampant. There are a lot of people who are affected by adoption. And it doesn't have to be from another country. It may be a family member who adopted a family member, whatever it may be. But adoption is such a prevalent thing. I can think of multiple different people, whether it was classmates that I had growing up, whether it's friends I have now who, who aren't able to have children and have adopted their own children now, or whatever it may be. But thinking about this idea of adoption and the great impact it has made on people's lives. We have all been adopted into the family of Christ. We can learn three things from all of this. What is God trying to tell us? Number one, the law points to the gospel. That we have a need for a Savior. The law points to the gospel that we have a need for a Savior. The thou shall not, getting back to that, the law, the thou shall not, is really hard for people, right? Thou shall not are hard for people to keep. Thou shall not, if you, if you have a hard time, if thou shall not steal is hard for a thief. Thou shall not commit adultery is hard for those who struggle with lust. Thou shalt not so difficult for people. You may have a certain sin that you struggle with. You think to yourself, how am I ever going to deal with this particular sin that I have in my life? I feel like I can't help myself. I feel like I can't overcome the struggle that I have in my life. I'm here to tell you, yes, you are not able to help yourself on your own. But there's a Savior who can help you. There's one who can give you the strength that you need as you depend upon him that can help you overcome it. We are all in need of a Savior. What the law was not able to do, 
Christ was able to do. This is what the law does. It shows you what you're not able to do. It shows us that we're in need of a Savior. The second thing we can learn from this today is that baptism is a sign of a new covenant. It's a relationship with Christ. How many of you remember what the sign of the old covenant was? It was circumcision. In the Old Testament law, an individual got circumcised. In the New Testament, after Christ came, no longer did they say anymore that you were to be circumcised. They said you should go out and be baptized to show that you have committed your life to Christ. Because of Jesus, we have the privilege to do the same thing today. To commit our life to Christ and to show that publicly through water baptism. To show our commitment to follow through in our relationship with the Lord. The third thing that we can learn from this today. The gospel is God adopting slaves of sin into sonship. The gospel is God adopting slaves of sin into sonship. God is taking a slave of sin and adopting him or her into his family, changing them forever. Once we commit to relation with Christ, we are no longer a slave. We are now a son or a daughter of God. We've been adopted into his family. And that is the story of the gospel. So the question today is, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, you know what? I've never given my heart to the Lord. And so I'm sitting here today and I'm still stuck in my sin. I'm still a slave to my sin. I'm still stuck in my past. I'm not yet adopted as a son or a daughter of God. And I want to become a part of the family of God. And today I'm ready to make that decision. I want to give you that chance this morning. So what I want to do this morning is with nobody looking, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to have the opportunity for you to make a decision to say, you know what, I'm ready to surrender and give my heart to the Lord. And the first step is, is to repent. It is to say, you know what, Jesus, I, I surrender everything I have to you. And I thank you for dying on the cross and giving everything for me. And I want to give my life to you. And so this morning, with no one looking around, if that's you this morning, all I simply want you to do is quickly put your hand up in the air and put it right back down. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or do anything else at this point. So if that's you. So again this morning, the law just tells us what we're not able to do. It tells us that we need a Savior. Jesus has come so that we can find life and that we can find life abundantly through Him. That we can find freedom through 
him. That we are all heirs through Christ and the family of God. So we're going to close this morning in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time that we can gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the family of God. God, I pray that you continue to help us to understand the truth of your word. They help us to continue to understand what the gospel is truly all about, and that's the love that you have for us and the way that you set your son, God, to set us free from sin, that we can go out, Father, and share the good news with others, God, that they may be set free from their sin as well. So, Father, today as we go out, God, may you prepare a way for us, God, to have conversation with others around us, to share the good news of the gospel, God, to be a witness, to be bold in our faith. God, for those who have made a commitment to you, God, and, and made a relationship with you, but God, have not stepped forward and publicly declared their faith through water baptism, God, I pray you place that on their heart, God, to have a desire to do that. God, to make that public declaration. God, have that desire to, to make that bold stand, God, before their peers. And walking out that step that you have laid before us in your word. God, you have called us to follow through in that. So God, be with us now. God, you go before us. We thank you for that. We love you. We adore you. We give ourselves to you. In your name we pray. Amen.